You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Jeremy, thanks for joining the Fully Occupied Show. It's great to talk oh, with thanks, you again. Thanks, Matt. Uh, happy to be on. Cool. So um, it would be great uh, if you gave us the uh, two-minute version of who is Jeremy Adams and, and <laughs> how did you get into real estate and what are you up to now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I graduated from college with a real estate degree and, and I'm actually using it, which is fantastic. Uh, started with a CoStar uh, research group um, right, right out of college. So my basis is in research and analytics and then jumped into the brokerage community in 2010 with a group called Transwestern. I was there for four years, started on the landlord agency side and quickly shifted to tenant rep within the first year uh, with my now business partner, Greg Baxendale. And we've been uh, working together for about 10 years now. I moved over to JLL about six years ago and uh, we've been with thriving there with, uh, with our focus on the healthcare uh, real estate uh, portfolios. Awesome. What, uh, what was it like shifting from agency to tenant rep? And maybe talk a little bit about um, you know, what you saw as, as kind of the, the, the reason for moving over to sure. the other side. Um, well, it was 2010, so agency was, was dead and I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, but yeah, I, I just found that representing companies was more my speed than, uh, equity rates and landlords. There's some, there's a lot of reporting and busy work and it's a little, you know, tenant rep is high risk, high reward. Whereas landlord rep is a a little bit of a a lower risk of some of the renewals and some of the consistent business. And I just wanted to go, go all out and go, go big. Yep. And then what precipitated the focus on healthcare? Yeah, we had a couple of healthcare clients and we heard them tell us, we'd really really love to see you guys provide us with demographics, provide us with, you know, how how can we see where our patients are? And and, uh, that was back in 2012. Um, So we we tried with some mapping solutions. We tried to do some some interesting things. um, And we were able to deliver, but not to the extent that we wanted to. Uh, and then we started getting referrals to other healthcare clients that wanted the same thing. Uh, and then we started targeting healthcare systems and, and larger portfolio groups. And we're able to create a process around that. So that's pretty interesting that your clients actually engaged you more from a analytics perspective about their patients rather than um, solve my real estate problems as kind of like the most um, frontal uh, question for you guys. Um how, how, how do healthcare companies generally think about their real estate, whether they're, you know, expanding or growing? Um, is it always a, a kind of a data and analytics first decision? Yes, uh, I would say to kick off a project, we start with data and analytics. 
um, and help them with their expansion strategies. The real estate uh, is there and sometimes we're constrained to lease expiration dates and uh, to some of the existing footprints. But the, the first and foremost thing they wanna do is look at everything on a map together um, and look at real estate opportunities, uh, duplication services, uh, you know, cannibalization of their existing locations, and then gaps where they uh, don't have any locations. Uh, you know, they're short-staffed and, and they need help with running some of these demographics and analytics. And we subscribe to a lot of different data tools and uh, we aggregate those together for our clients and they're able to use those um, inclusive of our, our transaction services. Cool. Just, just so maybe some people who aren't that familiar with like the healthcare industry um, in terms of like its actual operations and how they use real estate, like what types of business are, are we talking about? Are we talking about everything from your pediatrician's office all the way up through like a hospital system? Yeah, great question. So our group focuses on two different verticals. The, our main focus is healthcare systems. So think uh, Advent Health in Orlando and Tampa or Piedmont Hospital Atlanta, University of Utah in uh, Salt Lake. So they have uh, hospitals that they're trying to create downstream revenue uh, to from urgent cares, primary cares, uh, and some convenient care access locations. And they typically have anywhere from 100 locations to 1,000 locations. Uh, so that's one vertical. And the other is multi-site specialty groups. So think about a podiatry practice that may have 50 locations uh, or maybe a standalone a gastroenterologist group that has 30 to 40 locations in a geographic area. Uh, they're not affiliated with a hospital system and they operate independently. So those are, are the two focuses for our, our team. Sweet. And, and are there certain areas today um, that are shrinking or growing or is the whole industry in more of like a consolidation mode? What are, what are the current trends from, from a healthcare real estate perspective? Yeah, so our, our healthcare system clients, uh, they're working with us to, to shrink their existing number of locations, but that's mainly because they're actually working to acquire independent groups. And when they do that, the independent groups have their own real estate that comes with the acquisition. So that creates duplication of services in the same geography. So you know, the question is like, why have four primary care locations within half a mile of each other? Mm -hmm. um, but when you when you consolidate those three to four locations, you know, that creates great real estate savings. So then they take that and expand it to net new geographies that, that they've never had a presence in before. Um, you know, that is if they're unable to acquire an ind independent physician in that area. Um, you know, the old adage of uh, there's a handshake deal for hospitals uh, not to enter into, you know, other geographies or their territories. Uh, that's that's off. Um all, all across the U.S., hospitals are being very aggressive and putting up locations uh, in the front yard of their competitors. Um, so that, that kind of creates some opportunity. Why is that? Is that is that because there's there's more technology that they could reach um, larger audiences that across bigger geographies now, like telemedicine and stuff like that, or is it, or have there been like regulatory shifts that have allowed that to happen? I would say there's are some regulatory shifts that are happening in states across the U.S. that are non-CON or LNR states. That's a, for surgery centers and, and emergency rooms. Um, typically, uh, states will prevent those from being erected uh, because hospitals control it in the politics. Uh, but I would say that the the real reason why they're expanding is there's, there's too much to risk 
um, not capturing patients in their competitors' areas. It's it's a fight for the patients, and they have to capture them at the first point of sale, which is the convenient care locations, so urgent care, primary care, and quick cares. Yep. So flipping, putting your landlord uh, rep hat back on for a minute here, um, I, I would imagine that every owner, whether you're a REIT or a you know, large institution versus maybe like a regional developer or whatever, probably has a motivation to diversify their tenant base. Um, so yeah. if you're, you know, if you're heavily weighted in office, but you have well located property, you know, maybe healthcare could be a, um, a good hedge against, you know, an office market that might be plummeting, you know, due to COVID or something like that. But at the same time, the bricks and mortar of the real estate might not necessarily serve well for the, you know, the specialized nature of, of the facility that the healthcare practice needs is there right. like talk a little bit about those challenges um you know from from the tenant's perspective like how do you match that ultimate like requirement for space with with like the market inventory sure yeah and all of the reits that we're speaking to they want healthcare. there's like how do, how do we get it guys we need it we need to diversify our portfolio uh tenant base uh we need it uh the what they need to figure out is how to structure healthcare deals. Uh, for example, I guess retail groups specifically, uh, they, they just don't think about the long term and the credit worthiness of the tenant and are, offer little to no tenant improvement allowance to get the healthcare systems to come be a part of their assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need branding and signage. And I think there's going to be a trend for healthcare going into more retail where the waiting room is are the co-tenants in in that center you don't have to sit there and wait for your um brother or sister to get out of uh, a primary care visit you're in the starbucks or the panera next door and that's your waiting room especially not wanting to be around people with uh in a COVID, COVID and post-covid era um but the, and then also the use of the healthcare. healthcare just direct real estate directors just think this is they, they're not going to want our use. Let's not even consider them. Well, that's, that's changing. All, all REITs are now uh, seeking out healthcare and, and are okay with uses now. Some out of necessity, uh, they, they have to be okay with uses. So uh, a lot of landlords just don't want to see people in scrubs walking in and out of an office park, which I think that will probably stay around for a while. But I think retail centers, if you could do a medical wing on some of these um, mm-hmm. large retail centers, that, that's going to work very, very well. Yeah, like find an end cap on a on a, like a suburban kind of strip center and purpose it for you know ambulatory care or, or or something like that, and just leverage the rest of that strip center as kind of like the amenity base for the for the waiting area or for the for the patients as they're you know coming in and out of the of the clinic. That's exactly right. Cool. Um, so, talk up a little bit about trends that are facing the healthcare industry, and I. I kind of want you to answer the question kind of from the perspective of from two perspectives. One, these, you know, small independent providers. So like, you know, growing up, I went to a, a doctor and, you know, he had his own practice and he, maybe he even owned the medical office building that he was in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, among a, another group of phys- physicians. What are, you know, what, what with the consolidation happening, kind of how, how does that b- business model change um, is the first perspective. And then the other is from the patient, um, you know, you know, my dad is, you know, in his mid seventies at this point, baby boomer, you know, he's entering into the stage where, you know, he needs, you know, he's a frequent user of healthcare. Um, so like, how do, how does the industry, 
um, evolve to, to, you know, to accommodate those people. And like, when does that end? And like, when does it all kind of like shift back to the younger generation? Right, right. Uh, yeah, so start with kind of those independent providers. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them are not going to be able to survive um, based on what's happened this past year with COVID. Um, we've seen a lot of them be acquired by healthcare systems. And a lot of them retire, um, sell their buildings and the like. Um, it's just like when um, a, a large grocery store chain comes into a town with a local supermarket, it, it's tough for that supermarket to create efficiencies and negotiate the same contracts for insurance as these healthcare systems are able to, to achieve. So you're going to, you're going to see a lot of uh, those independent practices, unfortunately um, are, are not going to be around for a while. Um, regarding the baby boomers entering into the stage where they're all going to be using heavily using healthcare services. I mean, that's, you're going to see healthcare spend triple, uh, in, in the next uh, five years, um, across the nation, it's going to be a big boom. Um, and I don't think it, it ever shifts back to the younger generation. They're just going to have to keep up with every segment of the population. They're going to have to keep up with all the babies that are being born, all of the uh, the millennials that are getting into their 30s and will eventually into their 40s, the Generation X group. You know, the healthcare systems are looking at each of those segments and saying, how are we supporting them? How can we support them for their, for their entire life start to finish? And where can we place real estate to make sure that they are, they're using the right specialty at the right time uh, where they live. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, um, why, like, why don't more brokers focus on this area? I mean, maybe it's a growing practice group in, in commercial real estate, but I mean, you had the foresight, you know, several years ago when you got into the business to really nail down and maybe that was because you got a couple of clients, but I mean, it yeah. seems like, it seems like you had, a really good prediction there for the future um, yeah. safety of your business. Yeah. You know, like a lot of job security there if you're a healthcare broker today. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, you, you look at some of the office brokers over the past three or four years and they just had banner years. Um, and then now they're kind of, kind of stuck um, and thinking about how they can diversify uh, some of their client base. Uh, but yeah, my recommendation to people is you got to dive all in um, healthcare is such a specialized industry uh, that it's it's way more than just a transaction with with a landlord. There's so much involved. There's so much more that your client wants from you, um, which like I was talking about process, uh, transaction management, strategy analytics, national best practices. Um, you can't be a master of none. You can't do it all. You really have to specialize if you want to be excellent and and represent some of the big uh, tenants out there. Yeah, let's go a little deeper into that because I'd be curious to understand. I was an office broker in my, in my previous life. And yeah, yeah, you get into kind of a a cookie cutter type of mode where, you know, obviously there's variations on a deal by deal basis, but you know, at the end of the day, an office lease is an office lease. Mm -hmm. Uh, The use is pretty much vanilla across the industry. Um, uh, How are healthcare leases different? Like what do you need to consider um, that your clients might not be able to get out of your kind of run of the mill broker? Sure. Yeah. I'll mention a couple things, but the, some of that's uh, the secret sauce, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't divulge your secrets. That's right. Uh, I'd say some of the maybe two biggest things would be uh, HIPAA compliancy uh, in regards to their patients and the security uh, for their patients within the space. 
and some of those uh, lease terms that you need to be cognizant of. Mm -hmm. And then uh, start compliance, which is all about um, referrals to an owner of a healthcare building that's related to the tenant in the building. Uh, which is very illegal. And so now in most healthcare leases, you're having to get a fair market value for a lease if there's any party that has anything to do with a healthcare provider in the ownership group. Um, basically, if, if the owner can't give you uh, two years of free rent in return, you refer all your patients, right? right. So uh, you have to be very cognizant of that because there's, there's big penalties at stake if, uh, if that happens. Yeah, and I would imagine at JLL you have appraisal services and other service yeah. lines that could come in and, and, and help kind of, um, you know, form the, 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 the basis necessary to like be in compliance with these things. Exactly. Yeah. Our fair market value group for healthcare, uh, they do it every day. I mean, we have some contracts where we're doing a uh, hundred a year for a client, uh, some a hundred a month, you know, so it's, it's, it's a very intensive, the start compliance. And so, like I said, the penalties are big. So they everyone's very focused on it. Yeah. Cool. So shifting over to kind of your day to day as a brokerage team. Um, I, I mean, in, in the notes that you provided prior here, I was just blown away that you did 1000 transactions last year in like a 12 month period. That just to me seems like absurd um, volume. Uh, how do you how do you maintain that? Is there a like what is the size of your team? Are there specific roles that individuals have? Um, and then, you know, as a corollary to that, like leveraging systems and technology in order to kind of make your process more efficient. Talk a little bit about that as well. On the team we have, we have a, a large team of uh, anywhere from 28 to 30 people um, in the Atlanta office, but also throughout the country of uh, throughout the country in JLL. So for example, we work with um, Advent in Orlando and we have a broker partner there who works in tandem with us and uh, we're able to work together on the client to provide the healthcare expertise that he may not, not have out of Atlanta in our kind of healthcare hub. So um, we partner all across the country with so many different brokers and, that, and uh, we have transaction managers, we have strategy analytics folks that are on our staff full time. It's all they're doing is GIS mapping and coding um, to help our clients. So it's, uh, it's a big, good, big machine uh, and it, it works really well. That's awesome. Um, and from, from a tech perspective, uh, obviously we are as occupier kind of right in the nexus of, um, the tenant and the tenant rep relationship. Like, how do you, how do you leverage technology tools to, to do your job? Yeah. Um, you know, what's funny previously, like we would per client, we would have an Excel spreadsheet and then list all the active deals we have and, then we advanced to Google Sheets to where we're all changing it uh, together in one, but it just wasn't enough for our clients. And our the real estate directors for our clients are changing. They're becoming more tech savvy and they're wanting more than just uh, a, a Google Sheets online. Um, so we, we did stumble upon Occupier and we thought it was a, just a great solution for us because we're able to communicate with our clients inside Occupier, our team inside Occupier, and other vendors like attorneys or uh, project management groups, contractors, we can all communicate in one online uh, fashion. And then we can see all the comments and adding documents. And it, it just creates a, a great process to keep our team accountable, 
but that's also uh, we're keeping our clients accountable too to make sure that that right. the deal is moving forward so it doesn't stall in the in Wonderland. Yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge is just knowing where the uh, the ball is on the court and who's responsible for certain things. It's such a basic problem to solve, but over a thousand deals in a year, um, obviously things are bound to slip through the cracks. Um, cool. Um, what, what do you, what do you see as the long-term you touched on it before, but the, the pandemic you know, clearly isn't over yet, but hopefully we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, give me the positives and negatives of how COVID has impacted yeah. uh, the healthcare uh, real estate. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would say the positives that save real estate costs, similar to the push in 2009, 2011. Um, they're, they're worried about the future. Uh, they're worried about the economy. So like, you know, how, how can we save right now? Um, so that's going to create efficiencies in their portfolio, which, which drive drives deals for our team. So that's the positive. Um, and then the negative, which I, is, is positive for a lot of people, maybe not for real estate teams, uh, is kind of like video conferencing disrupted the office space uh, due to work from home. Uh, telemedicine yep. has been implemented by healthcare systems out of necessity due to the pandemic. I mean, pre, pre-pandemic, they all knew telemedicine was coming and it was imminent, but they weren't planning on doing it in any time in the near future. Uh, but it was forced upon them and it's going to make a dent in the, in the healthcare real estate industry. We just don't know how much yet. Uh, some of our clients are saying 15 to 20% reduction in space when they're um, adding new uh, locations. Um, and then some just have no idea and are just kind of waiting to see the, the results of telemedicine. Um, and I would say additionally, as technology progresses, you're going to see, in addition to telemedicine, you're going to see a lot of at home monitoring systems that will keep, people out of the clinical space. So, you know, uh, hooking yourself up to um, a machine at your house that your doctor can monitor uh, from, from their office. Yeah. Would that an example of that be like a dialysis clinic or something like that, where, I mean, obviously that's a pretty uh, complicated procedure to get, get started, but if it's an everyday thing, you know, does the person need to, to drive to, the clinic and sit in a chair for four hours when they could do it at their house. Right. Yeah. Is that, that's the idea. I don't know if, if dialysis will, will work, but um, that's the idea is like, you know, hook yourself up to, to monitor your vitals after a major surgery. So you don't have to stay in the hospital for 10 Got days. Um, so they, you can be remotely monitored um, and then do the tele, telemedicine teleconferencing to, to look at you know, how you're doing based on your recovery. Um, so they can get new people into the hospitals and, and create more space for, for other things. Yeah. Not, not only is it going to impact the real estate aspect of it, but the labor aspect of it, like you don't need as many people to have all these follow-up appointments. And um, it seems like it could be, have a cascading effect for, for the entire industry, not just the, uh, the real estate footprint. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a major disruptor because you still need the touch and feel for healthcare. But I definitely think that there's going to be there's going to need to be some pivoting uh, by some healthcare systems and how they approach space. Cool. Um, what what areas of the country are you seeing as being um, kind of hotspots here? Uh, you mentioned Orlando. You guys are based out of Atlanta. Is is are there certain um, kind of precincts around the country that are seeing more growth, less growth? 
is there a ge geographical component to it or is this just like a national a national um trend line yeah it's it's a national trend line but i mean i think as you've seen a lot of people see uh people are are fleeing from some of the the bigger cities uh, like new york and, and chicago san fran and with the sublease markets there just exploding for office space um and you know, the the move from a lot of california businesses into into texas into tennessee into into georgia and atlanta um so i, I think wherever the population is, is growing uh, healthcare will be growing. Uh, even if the population is decreasing, I, I think healthcare is going to be growing. So it's an across the board national trend. Cool. Uh, well, Jeremy, this has been great. Um, really appreciate you getting on the, uh, the podcast sure. with us and, and sharing, sharing your wisdom and, um, obviously keep that volume high and it sounds like you've got a, a a few pretty incredible years coming coming up ahead of you here. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about um, some of the advances we're making with our strategy and analytics tools that we, we provide to our clients. Um, and it's, it's going to be busy and busy is good. Uh, so we're very happy. All right, Jeremy. Jeremy Adams from JLL, Healthcare Practice Group. Appreciate your time, Thanks, man. Thanks, Matt. Take care.